Good day, everyone, and welcome to Computer Crime Chronicles. If this is your first time here, thanks for stopping by. I have to apologize for my absence as of late. I've been very busy with work and home life, and honestly, time just kind of got away from me. But I'm back now. In this podcast, our goal is to shine a light on the great work done by computer forensic examiners from around the world. This includes law enforcement and private sector cases where computer and cell phone forensics had a major impact in the case. I'm sure most of you have heard about crime involving the use of an electronic device. In fact, in today's world, almost every criminal case involves some sort of electronic component. Here's an example of a type of incident that many times is not really thought of as a crime. Police are called to a fatality accident where a car had rear-ended another vehicle on a street. At one time, accident investigators would arrive, take measurements of skid, note how severe the impact was by looking at the vehicle's damage, and gather witness statements. If alcohol or drugs were suspected, those leads would be followed as well. That was pretty much the bulk of the investigation. But now, in the electronic age we live in, the officer has additional evidence he can gather. Many new vehicles have in-car infotainment systems, which can record a large number of artifacts, such as speed of the vehicle, if a car door is open, whether the turn signal is activated, and much more. But what about the driver's cell phone? It won't record the car's speed, but may contain evidence on what the driver was doing at the time of the accident. Unfortunately, in our society, drivers tend to use their cell phones while driving. I see this all the time, as I'm sure many of you do too. If you watch the action of a vehicle in front of you on any road, you can almost pick out the ones whose drivers are texting. Their vehicle will swerve back and forth within a lane, they may be driving slower than the speed limit, and the biggest giveaway is when they're at a stoplight or otherwise stopped in traffic. The light changes green, and their car doesn't move. I personally know of three fatality accidents where the cell phone was critical in showing what a driver was doing when a crash occurred. In all three, the driver was texting. In other words, distracted driving. But is this any different than looking down because you dropped a french fry in your lap? Is it any different than turning to yell to kids or for punching one another in the back seat? I still remember when I was a kid, my dad reaching back to give us kids a whack on the head while he threatened to turn this car around and go home. Those distracted driving accidents happen all the time, but those people don't get charged with vehicular homicide when they get in an accident. So why do they get charged if they were texting? Well, in my opinion, texting is an intentional act and one that is not necessary while driving. I'll admit it, when the handheld cell phones first came out, I texted while driving too. I at least would hold the phone up and switch my focus between the road and the cell phone very quickly, but I'd be lying if I said I was not distracted in those situations. I don't do it anymore, though, for several reasons. First off, I've heard of and been involved in cases where people were killed or severely injured. Secondly, you can see it for yourselves every time you hit the road. Just look at the drivers around you. Watch their actions. It's clear some of them are not focused on the road. A young girl passed me on the highway several years ago, and I'd estimate her speed at 80 to 90 miles per hour. I got a quick look at her as she zoomed by. She was looking down at her cell phone, which was below the dashboard. Unreal. Lastly, most of the cell phones today will sync to your car. If a message comes in, you can simply tell your phone to read it to you, and you can reply the same way. You never even have to look down. But even if my car didn't sync to my phone, There are just too many instances where people are getting hurt due to texting for me to feel safe doing it myself. If I really have to send a text or dig up an address 
or put directions in my phone, I just pull over. It's not worth the possibility of causing an accident and taking someone's life, or my own life for that matter. So please, folks, take some time and digest what I've said here. You have a great life. Keep it that way. And if any of you listeners have been involved in an accident or know someone who has, or texting was the cause, send me an email at computercrimechronicles at gmail.com. I'll do a follow-up piece or maybe even have you tell your story on the show. Okay, public service announcement is now over. As our main topic of the show today, I want to highlight the work of a training organization and its members whose sole mission is to teach computer forensics. I recently participated in one of the world's premier training events where professionals begin their path into computer forensics. The event is the annual IASIS training event held in Orlando, Florida. I've mentioned IASIS in one or two of my prior podcasts. IASIS stands for the International Association of Computer Investigative Specialists. IASIS is a non-profit training organization established in 1991 by a group of dedicated law enforcement officers who wanted to ensure the cops were properly trained in the recovery, analysis, and reporting of computer forensic evidence. Initially, IASIS training was only for sworn police and federal agents or other law enforcement-related personnel. Over time, the membership and training were open to all individuals worldwide. Over a two-week period each spring, attendees from over 58 countries have come to the U.S. to partake in basic and advanced training courses. The basic course, entitled the Basic Computer Forensic Examiner, or BCFE course, has expanded to 300 students taught each year. After taking this course, students are provided the opportunity to obtain the Certified Forensic Computer Examiner or CFCE certification. I can tell you from personal experience that this certification is hard. Those people who have taken it over the years will tell you that the certification means a great deal to them. It's special because students don't just learn to click a button using an advanced computer forensic program to obtain their evidence. They're taught the basics of operating systems, file systems, partitioning schemes, how data is stored, and conversely, how it can be retrieved after it's been deleted. Additionally, IASIS offers advanced classes. This year, there were 14 advanced courses for cell phone analysis, Mac forensics for Apple-based computers, advanced Windows forensics, and drone analysis. IASIS even has training on how to capture and analyze live computer memory. We refer to live memory as random access memory, or RAM, and analyzing it can be vital to defeating encryption and gathering recent computer activity. Staffing this event is also a challenge, as you can imagine. Only IASIS members who hold a current CFCE certification can be considered for the role of a row coach or instructor. Here's the unbelievable part. Not one instructor, row coach, or anyone else involved in the actual training is paid a dime. That's right. They are all volunteers who give up two weeks of their time to teaching the next breed of computer forensic examiners. Some people would say they may not get paid to be there, but it's probably like a two-week vacation in the sun. Well, some people would say that, but it's not really accurate. In addition to the eight hours in the classroom each day, row coaches and instructors are required to participate in labs each night after class to further assist students in their training. Some days, instructors work up to 13 hours. While row coaching this year, I took the opportunity to interview some instructors and students. I wanted to know why they came to the training and what they thought of it. Let's listen to what they have to say. Can you give me your name and where you're from? Yeah, Paige McBeth. I'm from uh, Salem, Oregon. Paige, uh, who do you work for? 
I currently work for the Oregon Department of Justice, which is the state attorney general's office. And you do computer forensics for them? Correct. Now, how long have you been involved with the IASIS organization? So I came through BCFE in 2014 and got my certification then, so since 2014. Okay, so you did get your CFCE, obviously. Yes. Okay, and how long have you been on staff? Uh, this is my second year on staff. And what do you do down here at this event? So currently I'm uh, row coaching and I do teach a block of instruction for case documentation. That's right, with like a couple hours for that and yes. stuff? So. Yes, now, it's a two-hour block. I know all the row coaches don't teach, so you're kind of an elite squad being able to talk up there. And I actually listened to you and your presentation went very, very well. Oh, stuff, thank you. So. And, and tell me again, how many years you've done forensics? Uh, since about 2013 is when I started, so in my eight, nine years now. You get a lot out of it, though? You love it? Oh, I love forensics, yeah. I, I was not a computer person when I came to the unit um, in 2009. I managed to learn to do computer investigations and, and internet investigations and then moved into forensics, and I, I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. Can you tell us something that uh, maybe you did that was something kind of cool? Yeah, just recently uh, I was helping another agency on a homicide investigation and they couldn't get into a, a locked uh, Android device. And our current tool that we used to unlock the phone didn't support that particular device. But just by happenstance, he had one of the older phones that this guy had owned. And I was able to crack the uh, passcode on that phone, which was the same passcode for the current phone, which was purely by accident. We were able to get it open and find all the data we needed. Perfect. So you're able to use it in the, in the case. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah. Thank you. I met Paige for the first time this year, and I really liked him. And we ended up talking a lot at the training event. What I liked about his cell phone story was that he didn't just give up on trying to get into the password-protected cell phone. He took information from the first phone and used it to get into the second phone. That's what being a good forensic examiner is all about. I also spoke with Sherry Torres. Let's see what she has to say. So tell me your name and uh, where you're from. Hi, Mark. My name is Sherry Torres. I am from Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, and do you work for a police department there? I do. I work for a local law enforcement agency in North Florida. That's great. Sherry, how long have you been uh, affiliated with the IASIS organization? I earned my CFCE in 2014, and I started volunteering in 2018. Okay, so you've been on staff since 2018. Yes, sir. Okay, what do you do here at the event? Well, this year I am a trainer. I taught the file allocation table FAT file system. That is uh, quite a large thing. I watched that. It was it was a full, was it one day or two days? It was a six-hour block. Six-hour block, and you taught that with Dana, right? Yes, I did. Dana Wendover. Okay. That was really actually one of the, my favorite blocks so far this week. This is the first week here, and I thought that was done extremely well. You guys put a lot of effort into it, I could tell. Thank you so much. Yes, we... Uh, collected our favorite dad jokes and <laughs> delivered what we thought would make fat fun. <laughs> now, uh, in addition to the to the uh, teaching, do you do anything else here? Uh, yes, I am also the social media coordinator for IASIS. What does that entail? I um, not only try to promote membership and uh, let people know about uh, the motivation behind a lot of our volunteers. I think what makes IASIS great is the fact that we have such dedicated digital forensic professionals willing to pay it forward and give back their time to help everyone in our community. 
And with that social media, what kind of platforms are you, are you using? Uh, we have profiles on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And then that, so that's your job or your main job with that is putting information out on the organization, what we're doing, events we have, things like that? Yes, not only informative, but also to apply a human element to our organization so that they know that we're not only professional, but we are also people who care. And that pimps me for another question. You told me you also are involved with a, some type of a human kind of group. Can you explain that? Yes, we started an initiative called Humans of IASIS, and that is to focus on various volunteers from different committees and roles within our organization. And not only do we try to spotlight their reasons and personal motivation to give back to our organization, but also to just learn more about them, what they are what their hobbies are, what uh, they are interested in. Everyone is so diverse. Uh, we are an international association, so we have people from all around the world with different interests, and it's really interesting to find out more about them on a personal level. Sure, sure. Well, now, I know we're international. I think over 30 countries are represented here by just the instructors and the student this year, but uh, what about uh, female-to-male levels? Do we have females here? We do have some females here, right? We actually have a large uh, representation of females um, on our volunteer staff this year, which I love seeing. And uh, after my block with Dana, who is also female, uh, we were approached by several female attendees here. And that's always, personally, that is uh, what really makes me happy and my personal motivation in volunteering uh, so that I can encourage more women, especially in law enforcement, uh, but in our community in general, to have a strong role in digital forensics. Does ISIS have any programs in place to uh, prop women up or to get more women in the organization? Well, I am the coordinator for the Digital Forensic Scholarship for Women in Law Enforcement that was started by an IASIS member uh, who is uh, trying to give back and trying to promote uh, more female representation in our organization. And we just started this program, and our first recipient of this award is actually attending the BCFE course this year. That's awesome. I might try to get a hold of her next week when I interview all the students. So Excellent. thank you very much, Sherry. I mean, it's it's amazing. I've always known you were part of the group for, for a while. When I was on the board, I saw you work and stuff. But this is the first year I've seen you teach. Fantastic. And now to see that you're involved in so many things of the ACES organization, that's just going to make us better. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mark. Sherry is a really good instructor with a great personality. And just to clarify her joke about fat fun, she and Dana taught a section on a file system called FAT, which stands for File Allocation Table. Their block of instruction was excellent. Learning file systems like FAT, NTFS, and XFAT are critical to understanding what's taking place when files are written to and deleted from a computer. Sherry also mentioned the creation of an IASIS scholarship for women, which we'll talk about a little later in the show. In addition to our United States instructors, we also have instructors from other countries. Meet Craig McFarland. We're still here at the IASIS training event in 2022 in Orlando, Florida, and I'm speaking with Craig. Craig, where are you from? I'm from Edinburgh in Scotland. In Scotland, wow. So you've made a, quite a journey to be here. How, how long does it take to get here? Including stopovers, it was about 12 hours. Uh, how many years have you been uh, a part of IASIS? I was at this BCFE course in 2010 in Orlando 
qualified the following year. So you got your certification then? Yeah. And now what's your role here at this event? At this event, now I'm a row coach, so I'm in charge of looking after six, six students, help them out if they get stuck. Now the conference is set up that every row coach has six students, and we have roughly, what, 55, I think, 55 or 66 something type of instructors here? There's a lot more than usual because normally you would have eight students, but this year, because of um, social distancing with COVID, they've stretched out the class a lot. The class is much bigger than it usually was. Right. So they have more coaches with six students. You're retired now, is that correct? Yes. And what did you do before that? 30 years in the police, 23 years in various roles in uniform. And my last seven years, I was doing digital forensics. Gotcha. And as part of that, uh, that process or that environment doing digital forensics, did you have a case that kind of stood out in your mind? Um, 70% of our cases were in decent images uh, of children cases, and they're all pretty similar. Uh, there was one case that was different. We had information, a guy was running a, a tour network, the dark web selling stuff. So the house was hit, and with him with a civilian colleague, thankful he was there, because we were faced with a, a black keyboard, no, um, nothing visible on it. It was just so a black keyboard with no no writing on the keys. Yeah. Okay, continue. So that's not a great problem if you're using the QWERTY keyboard layout, but he was using one called Dvorak, and we had to go online and find out which key related to which letter. Wow. And he was running Linux, so it's even more complicated. But luckily, Nick managed to work it out. I was giving the letters and he was working away. And this was important because you were trying to do what at the scene? We were capturing RAM at, at the time. Once, it was, once that was captured, we then um, shut down, but we didn't know what he had in this machine. We couldn't see anything on the screen. It was a, it was a terminal. He'd, he'd managed to shut it as the door was being kicked in, but he hadn't shut down the thing, so we managed to get RAM from it. And from that, uh, my colleague was sent off to Germany because it involved various locations. So he had a few days in Germany, came back, went to court, and the guy got some number of years. Oh, good. So he was convicted. Yeah, he was convicted. Great. Circling back to the event here, how long do you think you'll stay with IASIS and do this type of thing for him? Probably as long as they'll keep bringing me back. So you enjoy it? So, yeah. I mean, I'm retired. I don't do forensics now. I was a peer review coach for about six years so after this event the students go away and they've got a process to go through and they get four courseworks which they work with a peer review so they work with one of the coaches they're allocated to coach uh, it takes about four months maximum and then after that they've got two exams to sit so I've changed role now For the past two years I've been this exam assessor for this process and that's an additional role other than role coach right the role coach here is separate, yes. Right. Um, I can't coach a student now from, a, from afar because I've got, I've got this exam. I know all the exam answers, so I can't not interact with them. Right. Same way I can't actually instruct a block here now. I still look after one. I still deal with uh, hashing, but I'm not allowed to instruct it for part of our accreditation, so they're not allowed assessors to actually teach. So you, you're an assessor as well as a role coach, though. So yes. multiple roles here. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate your, your talking to me today. You're most welcome. <laughs> Take care. Cheers. Craig mentions a TOR case that he worked. TOR stands for The Onion Router. A TOR browser provides some anonymity to the people who use the dark web to purchase everything from stolen credit card numbers to drugs. In Craig's case, obtaining live memory, or RAM, 
could make or break his case. The suspect's use of a keyboard without letters on the keys could result in an examiner accidentally locking or even restarting the computer, which would effectively make the RAM unobtainable. My next interview was with one of the most likable and colorful guys we have at the training event. His name is Matt Beers. Can you introduce yourself and who you work for? Yeah, my name is Matt Beers. I'm with Colorado's 20th Judicial District, Office of the District Attorney, which is really just the Boulder County District Attorney's Office. Well, that's a mouthful, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, what do you do for them? What's your primary role? So I was hired to be assigned directly to our digital forensic lab. And so I do full-time digital forensics with them with a couple of ICAC investigations throughout the year. Okay, and you're down here at IASIS as an instructor? That's correct. Yes, it's my fourth year on staff. And what's that comp- what do you do as an instructor? So as an instructor, usually as soon as we're done here, I'm prepping for next year. And the areas I teach are disk structures, so the physical makeup of disk, how partitioning schemes are put on the disk, what partitioning schemes look like. I also teach SQLite and then the first responders course, so responding to search warrants and planning for those. They have what's called row coaches down here, right? That's right, yeah. So you row coach, you have people assigned to you that you take care of as well help them through the process yes and then you also teach like four different courses down here yeah three this year four last year glad glad to only do three this year well you're very very busy aren't you (laughs) yeah now you came down here i came down here with my wife but you came down here with somebody different who'd you come down here with yeah i i brought my uh my my work partner um ascii who is ascii ascii is my electronic storage detection dog wow okay so you have a dog that smells electronics yeah so she uh she can reach out or she will use her on search warrants and she can find uh hard drives cell phones micro sd cards air tags hidden cameras uh we worked her yesterday i did a kind of a a demo with her and we hit an air tag in a car an sd card in a light a whole bunch of things throughout the outside here at this conference center and she found all of them. So do you have a real life story? No you know, specifics or PII or anything. Sure. Do you have a case where she actually found something? Oh yeah, so shortly after bringing her home, um, after I got her, we had a search warrant regarding a invasion of privacy case. For those that are listening, invasion of privacy would be like hitting cameras uh, that aren't supposed to be there. So we, uh, we went out on a warrant. We kind of knew what we were looking for as far as the invasion of privacy. We, Uh, Can't get into too many specifics, but while working around the room, she starts pawing at an electrical outlet. And so this electrical outlet, I thought it was really weird, so I pulled her off it, had her go around again, and went right at at it, and she was adamant that there's something there. And part of doing that, we uh, took off the faceplate of the outlet. It was actually a functioning outlet. There's a MacBook being charged on it. When we put off, pulled off the faceplate of the MacBook, we saw several blinking lights behind it. And I've never seen that on any outlets. So. I don't think I have either. <laughs> yeah, so we pulled it out and uh, saw that there was a Wi-Fi antenna. This whole outlet had been customized to transmit Wi-Fi, have a micro SD slot, and then the bottom neutral hole had a camera lens. So the hole in, like right on the face of that plug mm-hmm. had a very tiny camera lens? Yes. That's yeah. amazing, that's yeah. amazing. So, And ASCII found that. ASCII found it, it's something we probably would have overlooked. That's very cool. Well, just one more question. You've been here, did you say three years? Yes, this is my fourth year on staff, but if you like discount 2020, then it's three years, yeah. Gotcha, and so, do you expect to keep coming here in the future? I hope so, yeah. As long as they'll have me back, I think ASCII gets me invited back some days. <laughs> it's not my personality. Um, 
but I, I really I really hope so. This is such a great organization. It's full of great volunteers, and uh, there's so much knowledge here, and to be considered to be good enough to teach here is amazing. So great, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank you very much. Wow, how cool is that? A dog that smells electronic storage devices. That's incredible. I believe Matt when he says that they would most likely have overlooked that device, so having ASCII on board really helped them make the case. I'd also like to meet and congratulate the person who came up with the idea of an electronic storage device-sniffing dog. Brilliant. What a bunch of great instructors we have. And don't forget, none of them are paid for the work they do for IASIS throughout the year. This includes research into their teaching topics, writing their manuals, putting together practical demonstrations for the students, and honing their presentation skills. Some of them are also mentors who assist students in their quest to obtain their CFCE certification. Well, we've heard what the instructors think of teaching at IASIS. Now let's talk to a few of the students at the 2022 training event and see what they had to say. Can you tell me your name and where you're from? Uh, Samantha Scott from St. Charles County, Missouri, just outside St. Louis, Missouri. I'm from that same area myself. I'm from Chesterfield, so pretty close by. Who do you work for, Sam? Uh, St. Charles County Police Department. Okay. And are you doing forensics for them? Yes, I am. How long have you been doing forensics? About two and a half years. And how did that come about, uh, working forensics? What did you do first? Did you get hired as a forensic examiner? So I worked patrol for two years, and before that I interned for their cyber division. So I was already interested in that unit. Um, and then after doing the patrol for two years, they transferred me to cyber. Gotcha. And what made you want to come to the training event here in Orlando for IASIS? So all of our examiners get certified here, so it's kind of a given that you go through it. Um, but also just it looks really good to this world that we work in. So you are going to try to get your CFCE then? Yes. Okay. And what do you think of the class so far? It's been about a week and a half. It's been great. It's uh, it's good. You know, I, I have B-cert under my belt, so that training helped with coming here and everything. Um, so it's, it's been a good time. It's been gotcha. a lot. Gotcha. Well, um, as far as working, these days we have a lot of computers and we have a lot of cell phones. Do you have a preference on which you prefer to work? Uh, cell phones, uh, mainly because that's most of what I work on now. Uh, computers, I've worked on a couple, but cell phones are kind of my bread and butter. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Sam's career path towards computer forensics was a bit atypical. Like most officers, she worked the field for a couple of years. But prior to that, she was provided a digital forensics internship, which are fairly rare in police departments. She obviously works for a forward-thinking department that recognizes the importance of combating computer crimes. Sam also said that earning a CFCE certification was a requirement in her department. In the past several years, more and more agencies are requiring that their officers obtain their CFCE certification. This certification is also something that private sector companies often want their examiners to have before they're hired. I also interviewed another student, Chris Matson, and asked him what brought him to the training event. Hi, can you tell us your name and where you're from? My name is Detective Chris Matson. I come from Fargo, North Dakota. Chris, what police department do you work for? I work for our local agency at the Fargo Police Department. Okay, and what's your role in your agency? Currently, I'm assigned to our Crimes Against Children unit. Um, I do kind of a dual role. I mainly investigate any reports that come in involving physical or sexual abuse of children, but I also take care of all of our ICAC investigations for the department. Okay, so you said a dual role. Are you doing computer forensics and investigations? Yes. In my caseload, if I have a case, I'll do the general investigation as well as any forensics, but I also assist all of our other detectives with any cell phone or computers that they may need examined for their investigations. 
There's a school of thought out there that says a person can't do investigations and computer forensics at the same time. How come you've chosen to do that? Right now it's, you know, we're short-staffed, it's just, just like many agencies are short-staffed, so we have to deal with it as best as we can. So I, I do my best and I try to make sure that I can be the biggest asset that I can for our other detectives as well and make sure that we can get the investigation and the information out that we need. Sure. Now how did you uh, come to be here at the IASIS training event this year? Oh, well, I've been doing cell phones since about 2013. I've been, always been wanted to come to IASIS and expand my knowledge in computer forensics. Uh, previous administration, we weren't specialized or no one really had any specialty uh, assignments for themselves. With our new chief of police, uh, he's very big about networking and working with the other agencies and really uh, expanding on the knowledge that we have. So got the opportunity to come to IASIS this year. So I'm making sure I can take advantage of that. And it's been almost two weeks. Has it been worth it? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I've been doing cell phones for a while and to really learn the the basic ins and outs of all computer forensics and, you know, what I'm looking at previously, now I kind of have a little bit more background of where that's coming from and how to understand it. That's fantastic. Now, are you going to get your CFCE? Yes. I'm going to take the next month to read the binders and read the booklets a little bit more. There's a ton of information in there that, you know, necessarily wasn't covered in the PowerPoint presentations, but I want to make sure that I know that into uh, June when the uh, first problem starts. Sounds great. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you. Chris touched on a somewhat sensitive area that occurs with computer forensic examiners in law enforcement. Some agencies have their own dedicated forensic units. In those units, the examiners only do examinations. In the agency Chris works for, he conducts criminal investigations where he interviews suspects and obtains search warrants, but he also does computer forensic exams on the same cases. Over the years, there has been a running discussion within the forensic community that those two roles should stay separate. Some people believe an examiner should never do forensics on a case where they are also the investigator. Theoretically, that would be the best option, but sometimes, due to a number of factors, manpower being one of the most prevalent, it's just not possible. I can say that I'm not aware of any law that states the examiner and investigator must be two different people. What it boils down to, in my opinion, is the integrity of the detective who's performing the work. Chris also told me that he was the recipient of the Will Dawkins Scholarship. Will Dawkins was a longtime member, coach, and contributor in the IASIS organization who passed away in 2013. In his honor, a scholarship was set up in his name where the tuition for the BCFE class, hotel, and some travel fees are paid for by IASIS. Applicants must be employed by a city, county, or state law enforcement agency with two or fewer examiners. Chris was a scholarship winner this year. Chris also had a colleague attend the course this year. Let's hear what she has to say. Can you tell me your name and where you're from? I am Heather Hames. I'm from Fargo, North Dakota. Okay, Heather. Uh, in Fargo, what do you do for a living? I work for the Cass County Sheriff's Office in Fargo, North Dakota as a detective. Okay, so you're a detective, and do you also do computer forensics? I do. I'm, I'm just starting to kind of train and to get into that. Okay, so it's a new field for you. It is, yes. So mostly what? Computers are doing cell phones right now? Um, up to this point, I've just done a few cell phones, just been working on those, um, but I will, I think, eventually be doing what, whatever's needed, so That's all right. kinds of stuff. 
And in your jurisdiction, uh, Chris was telling me earlier that you guys will both be an investigator and do forensics, is that correct? Yep, so I spend part of my time working with the sheriff's office and just doing cases there, whether that's you know burglaries or financial crimes, uh, sex-related crimes, things like that. Um, and then I spend half of my time working at the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. Okay, now do they pay for your way down here? No, I actually was selected as a recipient of a scholarship. Okay, and that's the new scholarship that IASIS is offering, correct? Yes. Yep. Fantastic. Now, do they pay for your, your training and the flight and everything down here? Is there yeah, anything they, they don't pay for? They paid for pretty much everything. There was like a financial limit to it, so I think there's a little bit of my per diem that wasn't covered, but they, they pretty much covered everything. Well, that's great. I mean, to, to be the first recipient for that award, too, I think it was only offered to females as opposed to our other Will Dockin award, too, Correct. right? Correct, yep. Good. And we, we, we really encourage more females to get in this industry, so I'm glad to see you here. Yeah. What do you think of the class? It's been almost two weeks. Uh, you know, there's a lot of information. Um, me not really having any computer background, it's very fast-paced and and difficult, but I think there's so much information that's that's being given and it's all pretty new to me, so I think it's stuff that I'll really be able to use, you know, once I get back home and, you know, can just really use it to continue to learn and build the skills. Good. And you plan on getting your CSCE certification? Yeah, that's the plan. So yeah, I'll, cool. I'll go home and I'll work hard and, and hopefully be able to, to get that done soon. Good. Well, good luck. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Heather was the first recipient of the new Edith Santos Scholarship that Sherry Torres mentioned in her interview. Edith worked at a small law enforcement agency that was unable to send her to the IASIS basic course. With persistence, she was finally able to convince them to send her to the BCFE class. She obtained her CFCE certification and over the next several years received a number of accolades for her work in computer forensics. Edith was so grateful for the training she received from IASIS, she set up this scholarship to help other women enter the field of computer forensics. Scholarships aside, most attendees at IASIS are sent by their employers, but every now and then, people take the initiative and pay their own way, like this guy. I'm here speaking to one of the students here at the Orlando, Florida IASIS International Conference that we have here every year for training. And what's your name, sir? My name is Chris. Chris, why are you down here for this training? I've heard that it's good training. I've really wanted to push into digital forensics, and it kind of made sense that since this is the direction I want to move in, and this is great training, it puts it all together into a beautiful location in Florida. Uh, but getting deep knowledge in file systems, working through hashes, and understanding how the tools are parsing the information so that if the tool breaks or if there's a problem, you can kind of figure out, go back and manually sort or look through the information to figure out where the artifacts are and get the evidence you're looking for to make the cases. You and I talked about uh, a few things before this. So you're not actually doing forensics right this second, right? No. Okay, so you're down here on your own dime. Yes. And even though IASIS is probably one of the best values for the buck you get, it's still a good chunk of change to get down here and have your hotel and everything else, right? It is. It's that important to you. It is. That's... Uh tried to get down here last year just the, the timing didn't work out and this year i thought i had missed out because uh, all the seats were taken but that email one saturday afternoon the one seat popped open and i looked at my wife and i said this is an opportunity to really push into getting this training or we got to wait another year and she said let's figure out and make it work so that's what we did are you planning on getting your cfce yes good good well i hope you all the best man good luck thank you this story is near and dear to my heart 
Back in 1999, when I first heard of computer forensics, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. At the time, I was a sergeant in the crime scene investigations unit and wanted to establish a computer crime section in the lab. When I spoke with my major about attending a free week-long training event hosted by NW3C, the National White Collar Crime Center, he basically thought the idea of a computer crime lab was unimportant. So, I went to the training anyway. I took vacation and paid for my flight, hotel, and per diem. NW3C graciously paid for the training. Long story short, I ended up asking my major on two more occasions to attend training, and each time was told no. Both of those times, I paid my own way and went anyway. While I can't say I was thrilled having to do that, ultimately, my decision to part with some of my own money turned out to be life-changing. I'm thrilled that others still feel this career path is important enough to invest their own money. You won't be sorry, Chris. Computer forensics is a great field where you can truly make a difference. Well, that's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you have questions or comments, or perhaps have an idea for me to cover a particular case or topic, please send us email at computercrimechronicles at gmail.com. Take care.